0: Hello and welcome to the Pensacola People's Podcast, where we interview interesting people in our area. Welcome to Pensacola People's Podcast. I'm Lucia. Here are my co-hosts, Daniel and June. Today we have the t- talk show sensation, Joe Scarborough. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. We know you're
1: a man.
2: Well, it is great to be with you guys. I, I really appreciate you asking me to be on.
1: Can you tell us a little about yourself?
2: Um, sure. I was, uh, was born in Atlanta, and uh, we, my family, we, we, we moved around a good bit. My dad worked for Lockheed when I was born in Atlanta. We transferred from Atlanta to Meridian, Mississippi, up upstate New York, and finally landed in Pensacola, uh, Florida, when I was uh, at the end of ninth grade and just starting 10th grade went to Pensacola Catholic High School, uh, and then went to University of Alabama. And then uh, after four years of Alabama, uh, I actually came back to Pensacola for a couple of years, coached football at, at Catholic High, went back to my alma mater, coached a couple of years there, uh, and then went um, to law school at University of Florida. Um, and after that, Came back to uh, came back to Pensacola, practiced law for a couple years, um, then got elected to Congress when I was 31 and went up and served, served in Congress for about uh, seven years, six, seven years. Uh, came back to Pensacola. I'm always coming back to Pensacola, came back to Pensacola, then started a night show uh, that uh, called Scarborough Country on MSNBC, a new show and started at the beginning of the uh, the Iraq War in 2003. Um, and then in about 2007, I think it was, yeah, 15 years ago, uh, started um, Morning Joe, which is a morning show that uh, I've been on for the past 15 years.
1: That's a lot that's going on. <laughs>
0: Wait,
2: busy. Uh,
1: what made you move to Pensacola?
2: Um, My... My my dad's uh, family had uh, lived here in actually a long time ago uh, after the Second World War. They and uh, my dad's father had worked as a flight instructor out at Whiting Field in Milton and also my mom's family lived in Pensacola. So they'd been wanting to move back to Pensacola for a long time and. and so we finally got here uh, way back in
1: 1978.
0: Ah, oh, okay. Okay. Uh, so, can you tell us about your evolution in politics? Like, how did you go from a strong Republican to a centrist?
2: Well, I think I'd always been, um, always have been a conservative. Um, but I will tell you, it's very interesting. Ronald Reagan, when he was growing up, he was a Democrat and he left the Democratic Party and became a Republican. And he had a famous saying. He said, "The uh, I didn't leave the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party left me. And I, I sort of feel that way about the Republican Party. I, uh, I've always been a conservative. My views really haven't changed uh, on issues uh, to, to, to speak of. Um, I'm very concerned about uh, national debt, I think, it. Uh, it very concerned about us spending money that we don't have. Uh, very concerned about um, about national security. Um, and um, and a lot of my views, though, uh, stopped being shared by fellow Republicans over the past five six years. Um, they ran up the largest deficits in the history of the, the country. Uh, uh, while Donald Trump was president, they ran up the largest national debt in the history of the country. Um, and um, we pulled away from from NATO. And a lot of the things that we're seeing actually that are working right now uh, with our alliances in Europe, um, they're working now because we've we've over the past year, we focused a lot more in getting those alliances stronger. Uh, so. so So I wish my former party was a lot more like I was and I am, but they're not. But I think political parties are going sort of by the wayside anyway. I I think we're going to start seeing in the future more independent candidates getting elected.
1: What is the difference in being a politician and a news personnel?
2: (laughs) You don't have to wake up every morning uh, wondering what the newspaper is going to say about you when you're on TV. Uh, that was the one thing about being a politician. It was constant. You know, you wake up at five in the morning and oh, my gosh, what did the news journal say about me today? Or, you know, and I was I was fortunate. I was really in before social social media exploded. So I can't imagine just the 24/7 tugging at you with social media i mean you all know the pressures of social media better than anybody uh and that was one pressure i didn't have on me when i was in congress um and i'm on tv now and a, a, a public figure and had um you know some people say some nasty things about me uh, including the last president on social media <laughs> but <laughs> You know, as long as my bosses are fine, I'm fine. And I've learned to tune a lot of that stuff out. So uh, but I think that's the biggest difference. I also think when I was in Congress there're 435 members of Congress, there just aren't as many voices on TV talking politics. So we have a pretty unique position in the morning. So that's really that's that's it's 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 great. I mean, it's responsibility, but it's also pretty exciting for us.
3: So how do you feel about Ron DeSantis possibly running for president?
2: Well, I'll leave the politics out of this and just say, as far as just looking at the, you know, the analyzing how he would do. um, I think right now the Republican Party is, it finds itself in a position where they like a lot of the positions that Donald Trump has held. Um, They like his attitude. Uh, which is sort of a rougher attitude, a a sort of a a tougher way to be engaged in politics. But a lot of Republicans are feeling like they would rather do without the personal baggage that he brings along. And Ron DeSantis, for a lot of Republicans that I talk to, seems to fit the bill really well, where he supports a lot of Trump's policies. He has the same sort of resentment He's able to sort of harness resentment into political support, uh, but he doesn't have a lot of the personal baggage that Donald Trump had, which a lot of Democrat, a lot of Republicans think may have cost him the presidential election. So I think Ron has a, a pretty good chance of doing very well if he runs for president. And I, I suspect that Donald Trump's very concerned that he may, you know, actually at some point, take his place as the head of the Republican Party. So I, I think he could run and think he could win if he did.
3: So, us about the first time you met President Bill Clinton and can you make an impression of him? <laughs>
2: I did, did. I don't know if Ms. Stafford told you about that story or Dave did, but I didn't like Bill Clinton at all. And um, in fact, when I ran, I was running against Bill Clinton um in my mind Uh, i that's all i talked about was if i get to washington i'm gonna stop bill clinton this way i'm gonna stop bill clinton that way and i and i ran uh it really worked for me it was very effective and i ended up i was the first republican elected in northwest florida since like 1873 and um i ran again hard against the democrat wasn't supposed to win but i won and the first thing you do when you go to washington is you go to meet the president, which absolutely drove me crazy because I didn't like Bill Clinton. I'd been camped. I don't want to go see this guy. He's horrible and everything. And so I go into the East Room of the White House and I turn the corner and walking in, I'm going, God, I can't stand this guy. And and suddenly I turned the corner and there he is, just right in front of me. He's like, hey, it's Joe Scarborough. I was like, it's Bill Clinton. And he comes up to me, he goes, I haven't been to Pensacola since 1969. I sure would love to come back again sometime. Would you? And and I just, it was so funny meeting him. He had charisma and he looked like he was like seven feet tall. And, and, you know, he's just arms all over the place, hugging people. Um, And so it's very interesting that uh, I met him and ended up, um, still ended up working hard against him, but over time, we developed uh, a, a pretty good working relationship, and he signed some some legislation that uh, I helped pass in the House. So, we actually um, we actually uh, got to know each other over time. And he comes on the show regularly. He was on the show last week. Nobody would have predicted that. Like years ago, when I voted to impeach him,
1: why didn't you like him?
2: Um. Well, I mean, I'm a very conservative Republican. And I thought he was too liberal Uh, and actually looking back now, based on how things are now, I should have uh, I should have liked his policy positions much more because he's more moderate, more uh, down the middle than than most Republicans are Democrats. But at the time, at the time, I think I made the mistake that a lot of people make. I think I was too focused on party instead of focusing on issues, too focused on, you know, Republican thinking, oh, Republicans are good, Democrats are bad. And, you know, what I found over time after I got up in Washington, along with actually Ms. Stafford's husband, Dave, uh, what I found was that, you know, they're good Republicans, they're good Democrats, and bad Republicans are bad Democrats. you just have to you try to work with both both sides and you can get things done. We balance I think we balance each other out very well ideologically. I, yeah, I'm from Northwest Florida, and I'm conservative, I'm a Baptist, I, I fellow Repub, a former Republican. Um, but I work in New York City all the time with very progressive people, and it's always it's always good. The exchange of ideas always good because you sort of see, the weaknesses in your own arguments, and you figure out uh, maybe where you can get some, learn some things from somebody that may not have the same worldview as you.
0: You think Joe Biden is doing a good job managing what's happening in Ukraine right now?
2: I do, I do. I was was very disappointed with um, how he handled Afghanistan and said so regularly on the show. But I, I think he's doing a really good job with um, really good job with, with the Ukraine crisis, and I think the most important thing is is that he sort of took care of the first things first, which is a lot of our alliances with NATO had been t- been tattered uh, during Donald Trump's presidency, in my opinion, um, and so we didn't have a great relationship with with Great Britain which we always had a special relationship. They were our closest ally with Germany, with France, uh, with with a lot of European countries. And so I think the first thing that President Biden did was focus on first things, which in this case is, hey, you can't control what your enemies are going to do, but let's at least be shoulder to shoulder with our friends. And so, so he worked on those relationships with Britain and France and and, and Germany and and Poland and Australia uh, Japan allies all across the globe and so when this crisis hit we were able to put together a NATO coalition that was able to support the Ukrainians and still able to support the Ukrainians in a way that um, in a way that NATO hasn't been aligned I would say in 50 60 years so I think he's done a really good job. Uh, on this crisis, he and and he also has to balance the fact that Vladimir Putin has threatened World War Three several times. So a lot of people said, "Oh, let's have a no-fly zone." Well, you, what a no-fly zone means is you go in and you shoot down Russian planes that are flying over Ukraine. That would start World War Three, likely start nuclear war. That's obviously something we don't want to do. So so it's been a difficult balance, but so far I think he's done a very good job in in balancing. Uh, all the competing interests
1: uh do you are obviously a pretty political person i mean you have Mm -hmm. to be uh will you ever run again
2: i don't know i don't know if i will or not i've uh, you know it's so funny since i've gotten out of out of politics people have uh, been asking me if i'm going to jump back in and i I really didn't think I was going to until the past four or five years. In part, because um, one of the reasons I thought maybe I needed to run was because of what had happened with my party. What happened with the Republicans? What's happened with politics? It's become so divisive. You have people that are afraid to do anything because they're afraid of Twitter. I mean, my feeling is if you're afraid what somebody's going to like tweet at you, you don't deserve a voting card anyway. If you're that weak. Uh, so I, I just, I, I would like to see some people get in there uh, that have the ability to speak to more than just one side. I also think, and I'm a pretty old guy, but I also think that so many people that are leading political parties are just so old. They're like, mainly they're like 70s. Some of them are in their early 80s. And um, I, I, I think it'd be nice, you know, I'm not asking for much, but. Let's sprinkle a few 50 and 60 year olds in there maybe some 30 and 40 year olds maybe some younger people uh, so but but time will tell we' we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens uh, I would hope that that you know there'll be some really great people that'll come out and get involved in politics uh, uh, and if so then I can stay on my set doing my TV show so
3: uh, as moving from Florida which is mostly, a uh, conservative state uh, to New York, which is more democratic. Has that affected your views on politics at all? Uh,
2: no, I will say though that when I first started working in New York, 15, 16, 17 years ago, I will say that what I found, and this was surprising to me, because I, you know, I knew the Deep South, uh, you know, Alabama. Uh, Georgia, Mississippi, Florida. I was surprised by how much people are alike. Like, uh, you know, like, like New Yorkers. Uh, we'd always sort of looked at New York City. But I always looked at New Yorkers as like, man, they're really like, they're strange. They're different. They're weird. They're like liberal left-wing freaks and all this other stuff. And you just find out that they want the same things that we want. They want, you know, they they want a good job. They want their kids to be okay. They want their kids to be in good schools, to get a good education, to be safe. Um, and I, I, that's that's one of the things I really feel blessed that I've been able to live in one of the most conservative areas in America and one of the most liberal areas in America, and and find that in both of those places, we Americans were a lot alike. That's. It's one of the the miscalculations that Vladimir Putin has made, that Osama bin Laden made, that Saddam Hussein made, that all these tyrants make, they look at us and they see us debating on television and they see us fighting politically. And they don't understand that when we're attacked or when our allies are attacked, we all come together pretty quickly. We did it after 9-11. And we're doing it now, once again. And when the United States comes together, especially when we come together with our friends in Europe, that is a very, very powerful force, I believe, for good in the world. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Ukrainians are doing so well and why Russia's army is getting destroyed.
1: Okay, so this is a little off topic, but our teacher is making us ask this question. Okay. Is Rachel Maddow, really cool.
2: <laughs> I don't know Rachel really well. So, because I, I work really early in the morning and Rachel works late at night. So, I don't know Rachel, but I would assume from everybody that I talk to you that she's pretty cool. You can tell your teacher that Rachel Maddow is pretty cool. All
0: righty. <laughs> well, can you walk us through your typical day?
2: <sighs> yes. Um, I wake up um, about four o'clock every morning. Does that sound like fun? I wake up at about four every morning and um, start reading in. And this is actually what Twitter is good for. It's sort of like this news scroll. So I'll go down my news scroll and I'll see the news and see what I missed from the night before. I'll go through the New York Times app, the Washington Post app, the Wall Street Journal app. Uh, And then after doing some reading, uh, I'll I'll get ready. Then my executive producer, Alex, will call and he'll say, hey, these are the stories that we're looking at today. And we'll he'll go over the list. We'll arrange what order that usually is at five thirty comes in. Uh, And then we start the show at six o'clock and we're on from six until nine. And next week, yikes. We're doing a fourth hour. We're starting a fourth hour. So we'll be on from six until 10. Uh, and, and so I'll do the show. And then after the show, um, my wife, who is really good at exercising, the second we get off the show, boom, she's out running and she'll run four or five miles. And she always says, if you're going to have exercise, she's been telling me for years, you've got to do it right after the show or else you'll be overtaken with phone calls and work and everything else. So that's something I've just started to do over the past, let's say over the past month or so. So I make sure after the show, I get out and I put in about 45 minutes of exercise, maybe an hour of exercise. Uh, and then I'll I'll read the papers, uh, make phone calls, uh, talk talk with, with our team about how the show went and uh, then start planning for the show for the next day. I got four kids, so... Um, you know, that always gets it. That always uh, gets into the the mix. So like, for instance, today, uh, when Jack gets out of school, I'm going to pick him up and we're going to go batting cages and and, and he's going to hit some baseballs. And um, and then what we tried what we tried to do lately is I've tried to get we've tried to start going to bed like really early because my mistake is, you know, we get in bed. And then I'll say, oh, I'll just watch, you know, I'll watch something on my phone or I'll watch something on my iPad. And then, you know, it's 10, 10, 30, 11, and I got to wake up before four and that's, you know, that does me no good. So, so we're trying to get to bed much earlier, um, 7.30, eight o'clock uh, at night, at least turn the lights off. And I know it's funny, we sound like we're like, you know, six year olds, at least try to turn the lights off at like 7.30 or eight. And that gives me at least a chance to be asleep by nine, which would give me, you know, at least seven hours of sleep, which I usually I don't need eight. I couldn't sleep eight hours if you paid me. I, you know, but I usually need six and a half, seven hours of sleep. Okay. And then I start again. So is your show scripted at all? No, it's just it's weird. I just I kind of go on stage and, you know. I always tell people it's like I go on stage and tap dance for like three hours. It's yeah, no, yeah, not 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 scripts. So the news scripts will be scripted for Mika, where she'll read the news. But then when we're talking to the panel, there's no scripts. It's just kind of like what I jot down. I'll hear something while people are talking. I'll jot it down, and then we'll go down whatever line of questions I think the audience will want to want to know about. Okay.
0: So how do you come up with to talk
2: about? I read, I read news way too much. So I will say we've been talking, you know, it used to be that we would talk about a lot of different things, but then during the Trump era, everybody just wanted to talk about Trump. And there's always a controversy every day. So everybody was talking about Trump. And then it was COVID and everybody's talking about COVID. And, you know, we'd say, well, can we talk about baseball? No, it's too serious to talk about baseball with Trump. Can we talk about baseball? No, the world's coming to an end. We can't talk about your know, baseball. And, you know, the, everybody always said that. I, I, when I say everybody, I'm talking about my wife because I don't have to listen to anybody else uh, that, uh, on my show. Though no, I do. Um, and so um, then the, U- the Ukraine war came. And again, we're just talking Ukraine. But we've started to kind of loosen it up a little bit. Started to talk a little bit more about baseball, some, and we talked a lot about Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. <laughs> Wasn't supposed to, but it's what I wanted to talk about because I was pretty, I was pretty outraged by the fact that a man could assault another man on stage in front of the world and then go sit down and smile and clap for, you know, other awards and get a standing ovation. I thought that was crazy. So, uh, so we do sort of talk about some of that stuff as well.
1: Okay, so as you said, everyone's been talking about the Will Smith hitting Chris Rockman. How do you feel about the former president going after your wife like that? And how do you deal with hate?
2: Well, you know, so, so the former president, uh, went so I'll tell you this story because I thought it was, thought it was, it was pretty crazy how it happened. Um, so the former president got really mad at Mika because she said, you know, we've known Donald and we went to his country club. He invited us and he has all of these fake time magazine, uh, covers framed all over the base, And they're just fake. And she's like, who does that? And Trump got really angry and tweeted at her. And said am like, I can't believe morning Mika is ble- uh, came down and wanted to have dinner with me. And she was bleeding badly from a facelift. And you know, Mika never had a face, you know, she never had a facelift. So, but that was just so, he's so bizarre. So, but what was so funny is she was on set I, this won't surprise Kim at all. I had kind of gotten offset with about kind of left class 20 minutes early. I'd gotten off a set like with about 10, 15 minutes. You guys finish. I'm just going to be down, uh, you know, making calls in the office. And so Mika's on the set with Willie Geist and one other person. And suddenly while Mika's reading the news, the guys on the set just froze. And she goes, what guys? And they go, nothing, nothing. She goes, and Mika just sort of knew. She goes, "What did he tweet about me?" And they showed they showed the uh, the thing, you know, "Morning, Mika, bleeding badly from a facial." And she looked at. It, she goes, "Oh," like they thought she was going to be real upset. She's very tough. She's a very tough person, and um, and she basically was like, Ugh, "Whatever." Uh, and so she came downstairs. And the whole newsroom was really quiet and thought that uh, she was gonna be upset. And she just said, oh, I'm fine, everybody, just relax. And so, so, so the press people were down and said, what should we say, what should we say? And she said, oh, let's, no need to say anything. And then she took a picture of, she took a picture of the back of a Cheerios box that was on our table and tweeted it out. <laughs> the headline was little kids eating Cheerios and it said, made for little hands which is one of the things that drove Donald Trump crazy when people said he had hands. Uh, And so, but that's all she did. People made a huge deal out of it, like a huge deal out of it. Um, one of my favorite tweets, like two or three days later, it was on the front page of like every paper in the world. We still actually have <laughs> the New York Daily News has a, has a picture of a bald eagle with American flag behind it and his head is down and the headline is America's shame president goes after talk show. house. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a tweet. It wasn't that big of a deal. But my favorite tweet from the weekend was um, there is, there is this picture of a is chi- a, a Chinese newspaper and on the front page, there was Mika's face and Donald's face and it was all in Mandarin. And the, the guy tweeted, he goes, hey, I don't know Mandarin, but I know what this story is about. And everybody was talking about it for three or four days. Um, but it was, you know, the thing is, Miku's very, you know, is very tough. I'm very tough. Uh, you know, he, he accused me of being a murderer like 12 times, which I'm kind of wondering what members of my fam. Oh, yeah, he tweeted. He tweeted uh, like 12 times that I was a murderer and I should be thrown in jail and arrested, which I kind of get a kick calling members of my family going, so why did you vote for a guy who accused me of murder? But that's another story, not to be told here. Um, But, um, you know, we're, as I have said to people in my family before who go, oh, it's so tough. I say, listen, if you'd like, I could be an insurance defense lawyer, I like doing that, but if I'm going to be on TV and if you're going to be in public eye, you know you're going to get you're going to get hit, and you just you have to put it in perspective. And you asked, you know, how do I deal with the hate? Um, you know, you just kind of tried to be mindful about it. I, I think, again, I've been around long enough to know not to take what people say about me personally. It's people that like family members that matter and it's friends that matter. Uh, So it's, you know, you just have to keep it keep it all in perspective and and understand that it's it's just social media. People say ugly things on social media that they would never say. In person, like I'm walking when I'm walking through airports, nobody comes up and says nasty things. We come. And go. I love your show. I don't like politics, but I love your show. I'm like, thank you, sir. Uh, and I hear that all the time. People come up, hug me. I voted for Trump, but, you know, but I like you, Joe, or other people will say I'm a liberal, but I still like you. It's funny. Liberals think I'm too conservative and conservatives think I'm too liberal. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> always, always bouncing around.
0: So like you said, you've been doing this for a very long time, 30 years almost. So does anyone even impress you
1: anymore? You interview pretty cool people.
2: Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah you know that, okay, so I'll tell you guys, this, I'll tell you just to let you know, um, I'm a big music fan and I, I've liked the Beatles forever. So Paul McCartney impresses me. Um, but. But you know, it's funny when I first got into TV People always ask me, hey, can you go to this dinner? Can you go to that dinner? And I usually, you know, because I had to wake up early, I didn't like going to dinners. But I said, you know, I'd, I'd say on some of the events, I go, yeah, I'll go, but here's the deal. I want to sit next to, like, sit me next to so-and-so, you know, movie star, you know, sit me next. And so, um, so that happened, like, for a couple of dinners. And I'd sit down, I'd go, I sure did like you in, you know, whatever. I sure did like you in Titanic. You know, I sure did like you and whatever. And they'd go, yeah, yeah, great, thanks. And then you'd have nothing else to say to them. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, boy. And so I actually started saying, I'll go to your event, but don't sit me next to a movie star. Sit me next to somebody that, you know, that can can carry on conversation and everything else. But do people impress me? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm really impressed by people who, um, speak their minds and uh, don't just sort of go along with the crowd. Um, right now, I'm very impressed, obviously, with President Zelensky, who's risked his life uh, to to save freedom in his country. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm impressed by I'm impressed by by people. But as far as me going, oh my gosh, you know, so and so is coming on the show. Yeah, I don't I don't really get too nervous anymore. I used to, I used to get really nervous, but I just, at this point, they're people, right? I'll be honest with you. I'd rather talk to you all than a lot of the people that I've had to sit next to at dinners.
3: So, How do you determine, like, how do you tell the difference between real news and fake news? Well,
2: I think think it makes a big difference if you actually are reading News or listening to news from net TV networks or from newspapers that have edits, that have fact-checking system in place. You know, people that just internet people that that are okay. So uh, the question is, how do we I mean, fake news and real news? I think for me, and, and I hope for people that really are just on the truth that have a fact checking system, throwing something up on a website uh, where there are no f- believing everything that they read. And and so often I used to get Facebook posts uh, sent to me, texted to me, or, oh my God. And I'd always say, what's the news source for this? And... and there's been a lot of misinformation about the presidential election, a lot of misinformation about COVID, because people would just pass around uh, ridiculous stories, wasn't any fact. And, uh, they're, they're, and so I always tell people, listen, if you're a conservative, then read the Wall Street Journal. It's, it's, or it's owned by Rupert Murdoch and the same people that own Fox News. Read the Wall Street Journal. They have, they have great editors. They've got great reporters. uh fact checking system. And trust them because they're conservatives. And if you're a liberal, you can get your news from the New York Times. If you're a moderate, go to the AP or some of these other Straight down the middle. And I, I just it's just critical that, that people do get their news from legitimate places because, unfortunately, as we found uh, too often, uh, people can spread a conspiracy theory and it can really take root in this country and cause real problems.
0: Do you think former President Trump will run again?
2: I, you know, I actually, I know he, doesn't, he doesn't get indicted. He has some real legal challenges in front of him. Um, but if if he does uh, And maybe, who knows, even if he does, um, I I think right now, the Republicans overwhelmingly, like we talked about before, Ron DeSantis is probably his biggest challenge. Um, And I think that unlike all... Um, but I, I think there's a better than 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 50/50 chance that, that Donald Trump runs for president in twenty twenty four.
1: Will, do you think you'll vote for Trump oh. or uh, say-
2: And uh, right now, uh, I, I right now I would not. But for either one of them, but you you just, you know, got to wait and see who who they're going to be running against. And um, I, I, uh, I certainly for reasons, not just because he told me a murderer attacked my wife, uh, I. Those again, I see. Uh, who's running against him. Um, And even though it seems unlikely that I would vote for him. uh, Go with pretty dramatic change in some ways.
1: How involved do you think former president Trump was in the January six attacks?
2: Well, pretty involved. I mean, he, he pushed the conspiracy theory for uh, months that, that, the election was rigged. In fact, he started even talking about it in the summer of 2020, uh, and so obviously it, he he was involved. Uh, Bob Woodward and Robert Costa talked about the command center that his uh, former aides and some current aides had right by. The, on January the sixth, uh, you know they have been, they're do, they're doing the investigations, but on January the sixth. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of testimony that people were rushing in, uh, in and family members were calling, uh, conservative hosts from Fox News were calling, everybody was calling, begging him to stop the rioters, asking them to have the rioters uh, back away and, and, and leave peacefully. And he refused to do that for several hours. So uh, I think he's, uh, he's, he's got some, some legal challenges there. Uh, and, and it's especially if you look at some of the things that have come out over the past week, um, but I think also some political challenges as well. And, and that's because January the 6th was a real dividing line. I think even for a lot of Republicans who had supported Donald Trump in the past, um, I, I, I think there were a lot of people that were with him through all of the craziness of the, the four years of his presidency who on January 6th said, okay, I think maybe enough's enough. And that's, I think Ron DeSantis and other Republicans are probably benefiting from that fact now politically uh, that January the 6th, I think probably pushed a good number of people away from from, uh, the former president.
3: Okay, so what do you think is the future of the Republican Party and the Democratic Party as well?
2: Well, let I'll um it's hard to say with the Republican Party, I'm hopeful that they'll return to being uh, the conservative party, uh, the small government party, um, that they were years ago. Um I'm hopeful that 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 also they will have leaders who are more respectful of of people that are in the political process. I mean, so much, of what's going on now is just um, politicians that are preying on the resentments of their voters. And it's really bizarre. You have these elitists that went to Harvard and Yale and Stanford and and, and Oxford and other Ivy League colleges and, and West Point who are acting like they're these great outsiders and acting like they're these populists who again stir up working class resentments. Um, and so, so I, I hope that the party moves past that phony populism and goes back to being a conservative party, especially with a small C, and also that they show more compassion and more respect, not only toward Americans but also towards those that they work with. It's, I think the 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 rudeness in politics is scaring off a lot of really good, talented people, and I hate to see that. I also I, I want I want you know, people getting out of high school and college uh, to be like me and be inspired by politics, uh, look up to politicians and want to go to Washington to change the country for the better. And right now, it seems like such a blood sport. and Everybody's so mean and nasty to each other um, that it causes, you know, causes me a real concern. Uh, but, but again, I'm hopeful that the Republican Party will find its ideological bearings in the coming years uh, fingers crossed there i think on the democratic side um i think the democrats are actually moving in a direction right now that their elites uh don't recognize that people that washington insiders don't recognize that some of their biggest contributors don't recognize i think the democratic party at the base level is actually getting more moderate. Uh, more conservative, more moderate. You can really see that in two of the biggest elections that were held over the past few years. One, of course, was Joe Biden. Joe Biden ran as a moderate. Uh, he ran against 13, 14, 15 progressives. And after getting through the first two really progressive Democratic primaries and caucuses in Iowa and New Hampshire, uh, he won South Carolina, he won Mississippi, He won LA, he won a lot of the Southern states, Uh, And so the party elected the one moderate that was running and then the next year you had Eric Adams who ran as a law and order conservative in the Democratic primary in New York City, again, one of the most liberal cities in America, and Eric Adams as an ex cop who was running on a uh, anti crime platform. Um, he, he won Brooklyn, he won the Bronx, he won Staten Island, he won Queens, um, so he won all of these areas that are supposed to be so liberal, and he won as a moderate, uh, and so it's something that, that the Democratic Party in Washington and New York and San Francisco and uh, L.A. may not have, Hollywood may not have figured it out yet, but the Democratic Party is becoming more conservative. And um, people of color, uh, their polls that show uh, are far more conservative than a lot of uh, progressive white leaders in that party. There's a guy named David Shore who worked for Barack Obama that has extensive polling on on this, uh, that the party overall is far more moderate than its leadership. And so you're going to see the Democratic Party moving back. Actually, let's bring up Bill Clinton again, back to a lot of the I think, traditional moderate positions that people like Bill Clinton and Bob Graham and Lawton Child staked out so many years ago.
0: So we've been trying really hard to get an interview with Matt Gates and we've interviewed his opponent, Rebecca Jones, and we want to hear his side of the arguments as a former Congressman do you have any suggestions about like how we can get him on a pon- podcast?
2: I would ask David Stafford. Maybe he can help you.
1: <laughs> Maybe you can give us a shout-out on the show.
2: What's that? Maybe you can give us a shout-out on the show. I will give you a shout-out on the show, yes. Definitely. Yay. I, would love, I would love to do that. As you get, give the, Definitely give you guys a podcast shout-out.
1: Yay. All right. Okay, we have one... Final question. Okay. Well, this question is the hallmark for our show. What do you want your legacy to be?
2: Um, I think I'm, I'm like most, I think I'm like most parents. I've got four kids. I'd love my kids to, um, I'd love my kids to be, uh, independent, self-sufficient and love them to look back and and say that their dad always put them first, that, uh, that I was a good dad and that um, I kept them at the center of my life.
1: Well, thank you so much for being, uh, for being able to do this, for, uh, for being on our podcast.
2: Okay, I'm, I'm doing the video, turning the video on. We may freeze, but I was gonna say bye to you guys. All right. There we go.
3: <laughs> All
2: right, thank you. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for being
1: uh being able to do this for us we were really nervous to interview and it was incredible thank you wow well, oh tune in next, oh I'm just doing an outro oh so.
3: Yeah. Okay. so you can tune in next week for our interview with um lindsey graham's press secretary Uh, see you
2: guys later thank you let's get a picture hold on a second one hold on one two three hold on little there we go got it all right thank you guys so much and uh, (laughs) i hope i get to meet you guys when i come to pensacola
3: (laughs) all right right. bye Bye. bye
0: That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our podcast.
1: Pensacola People's Podcast out.